Hello and welcome to Register, the podcast about architecture and landscape from the Kingston School of Art in London. My name is Andrew Clancy. These are strange times. It's the obvious thing to say, and yet it must be said. I guess there isn't a single one of you listening to this who is not profoundly affected by this crisis, and our thoughts are with you all. Everything is profoundly changed, and yet remains the same. I feel this tension, as as must all of you, I guess, between the impulses that guided us so recently and our new realities. And of course, this time will pass, but the getting there is opaque. We are each, all of us, newly aware of how our individual actions shape our greater society, about the interconnection of all things. In a sense, perhaps, this might be a moment of societal self-awareness, one formed with the backbeat of anxiety and hope, contingency and continuity. There is no space, perhaps, for a podcast like this. So why do you see this appearing in your feed? Well, I guess the first thing is we have an archive of podcasts that we haven't released, you know, uh, things get in the way and it's hard to edit them and get them out. And certainly from my part and the part of my colleagues in Kingston, we've been keenly aware that the day-to-day news cycle of reacting to this current uh, moment is very well catered for. And perhaps it's good occasionally to dip our toes into the waters before, into conversations that were and remain relevant, that aren't concerned with this current time. I mean, as we are thinking of our students and we're thinking of our colleagues, maybe this might be an occasional moment of pause uh, where you don't, apart from now, hear any mention of the virus, any mention of social distancing, any mention of numbers, cases, testing. So this is going to be an hour of a conversation about architecture and drawings in particular. This podcast was recorded last summer when our department hosted the Frascari Symposium, which is an international gathering of people who have been affected by the teaching of Marco Frascari, but also now more broadly as a place to reflect on the culture of drawing and its relevance to architecture more generally. It was organised in Kingston by Mary Vaughan Johnson, our head of department, and Federica Goffey, who's the associate professor and co-chair of the PhD and MAS programme at Carleton University. In this interview, both Mary and Federica sit down with two guests. The first, Alba De Lieto, graduated in architecture in Venice and is currently the curator of the archive of Carlos Garpa at the Director's Civic Art Museums and Monuments of Verona, where she manages the activities related to conservation and restoration and maintenance of Scarpa's work in the Museum of Castle Vecchio. The other being interviewed is William Whitaker, who is the curator and collections manager of the architectural archives in the University of Pennsylvania School of Design. William was trained as an architect and an architectural historian, and he primarily works on documenting and interpreting Penn's design collections, including holdings relating to the life and work of architect Louis Kahn and landscape architect Lawrence Halbron, as well as the husband and wife design team of Robert Venturi and Denise Scott Brown. In this conversation, all four speak about collecting, archiving, and, and the nature of collections of drawings as both a discipline in terms of how they grow, how they start, how they tended, but also their value as places for discovery of research and of delight in performing profound insights into the nature of our discipline. I do hope you enjoy the conversation as I did in editing it. 
and it diverts you mildly. We're going to be bringing out as many of these as we can actually over the next few weeks, uh, maybe one or two a week, although that's a promise. Let's see if I can keep it. So do stick around and subscribe if you can. So today we are in the room with Bill Whitaker from uh, the University of Pennsylvania Archives in Philadelphia, Alba Di Lieto from uh, Castelvecchio in Verona, and uh, with me here also is uh, Federica Goffi, who together with me, Mary Johnson, and I am the head of uh, architecture and landscape at Kingston University. And Federica and I uh, have convened a symposium at Kingston University. So we are going to talk about, um, maybe touch on some of the topics that we, we discussed at the symposium, but first of all, we'd like to find out a little bit about who you are. Uh, so shall we start maybe with uh, Bill? Sure. Um, and maybe talk a little bit about how you got into being an archivist and how you got interested in archives. Uh, so if you will. Yeah, so I uh, work as a curator. I'm in charge of a great collection of architectural drawings, but I'm trained as an architect. And I began my career in archives working as a work-study student. 25 oh. years ago when I enrolled in my master's program, I had a choice of a work-study job, a student job. And I was fortunate there was a, a number of positions in the archive that I'm now in charge of. And oh, the same archive. Yeah. So you went to University of Pennsylvania yes, for education. Yes, I did my education. master's at Penn. Fantastic. And so, you know, I started working there as a student. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're talking 12 hours a week. And soon enough, I found that I felt that I was learning more from the drawings than I was from my professors. Funny. Now, don't tell my professors that. <laughs> and that's uh, not fully true. Yeah. Because certainly teachers play an important role in helping you see and understand sure. what you're interested in. Right. Um, but I found that I was learning wonderful lessons by just looking mm. and being able to indulge my interests mm. in looking at drawings. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that for 25 years. That is fascinating. Yeah. And it was at that time, was there a particular collection you were looking at that you remember that had a huge impact? Well, the, the, the collection at Penn is, is famous for having the drawings of the architect Louis Kahn. We have many other collections. Mm. And so, of course, at first, I was very interested in the drawings of Louis Kahn, and I still am mm -hmm. very interested mm -hmm. in it. But I also, very early on, became interested in the other drawings. And sometimes it was just a researcher coming in. And as a student, it was my job to go get the drawings out of the drawer and deliver it to yeah. the table in the research room. And often you would have a conversation with that person. And it mm -hmm. could be that that person was a student. Uh, it could be that they were a professor at a prestigious university, an architect mm. charged with doing an alteration or an addition to a building. Okay. Or just it was an interesting moment and you started to get interested. Well, why is that interesting? Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there were also other times where a new collection came in and it was your job to flatten the drawings, to start to arrange and describe them, which is a step that happens before you open a collection for use. Okay. And you started to get interested in what you were seeing and the drawings started to ask questions of right, you. Right, right. Now, Alba, uh, maybe you tell us a little bit about what you're doing, which is quite different from William because uh, I work in a museum mm -hmm. and my professional career was built uh, 
step by step, mm -hmm. if I can say, because I started in the museum when I was a student. Also I a student. That's student yeah. in architecture. Uh -huh. And um, I, I started for chance to work in Museo di Castelvecchio, mm -hmm. but when I started, I was really interested in Carlo Scarpa works mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, so when uh, the opportunity uh, was opened mm -hmm. uh, I asked if I could uh, collaborate in uh, exhibition and uh, cataloging Scarpa's mm -hmm. drawing mm -hmm. and so as I mm. uh, explained in my talk mm -hmm. <laughs> I started to work in this field. Mm -hmm. In the same time, uh, Castelvecchio is uh, a part of seven city museums, a museum system. Mm -hmm. So I am the architect of the museum system, mm -hmm. and so I prepare exhibition mm -hmm. and uh, I work for maintenance. Okay. I work as a for as a kind of, um, uh, I guess, architect uh, managing the building in some ways. Yes, I, I'm something like a, um, a connection between different aspects to maintaining the different museums. Ah, so more than just the Calcevecchia. Mm, mm. We have we have seven museums, mm -hmm. so I. I do. I call the people uh, when we need, uh, when, for example, the bathroom is broken. <laughs> okay, building maintenance. Yeah, maintaining the building. Okay, excellent. Uh, but you, you said excellent. you started as a student of architecture. Yeah. Um, and it was at Castevecchio. And so uh, your job then as a student, what were you doing? Was it in the archives then or was it something else? Uh, re really, uh, I finished architecture, and after I had a mass, I finished architecture in Venice with uh, Rigorudi. Mm -hmm. Then I had uh, a master in Museografia e Museologia at ah, the Politecnico di Milano. Uh, so you knew then you were interested in museums. Already, I don't know. No, he's uh, an <laughs> an ever and less uh, subject. Right, 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 right. But this this was before you started to work for Castelvecchio. You did the no museum. during. Uh, I during was that time. a student okay. laboratory, a working student. Can you say ah, in English? Yes, yeah, I studied and I mm -hmm. worked in the same okay. time. time. Yes, excellent. And you were doing the same, I guess. Yes. Attending as a student and working as a student. Yes. And ended up... They didn't pay much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> what's, but what's interesting is that there is a similarity, right? You both ended up working in, in the places as a student where you still are today. Yes. That you've never left. So I think that's, you know, for our young students who are listening to this podcast... You know, it's an interesting story. So let's continue. And maybe you have a question. Oh, I was just going to ask because of the, I guess, the professional background as architects, you know, approaching collections of drawings and an archive, you know, what's unique in how you handle these materials, you know, what would be different? Well, I think 
I have a training as an architect. I've never worked as an architect because I was straight through from my undergraduate to my graduate, and I was working at the archives, and I still work at the archives. I'm associated with a lot of architects in the sense that they are people who donate materials. They are people who use materials. I can converse with them on an architectural level. I can also read the drawings and understand the drawings at the as an architect would, mm-hmm. right? Which is mm-hmm. a great skill to have in an architectural collection. Mm-hmm. My colleagues who I work with on a daily basis are archivists. Maybe they're experts in handling photos and material like that, but they don't know how to read the drawings in the same way that I do. Mm-hmm. So it's an essential skill, I think, mm-hmm. and an important mm-hmm. investment in collections like ours to have somebody there who understands and can read the drawings mm-hmm. and because mm-hmm. interpretation mm-hmm. and education is part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I guess what, what are the kind of activities that you run from the archive or you enjoy, yeah. you, know, be, you know, between all the many things that you do, you yeah. know, from exhibiting to hosting students and your own yeah. research? I think the most important thing, it, it, there's two things that are most important. One is that you're, you're, you're opening up mm-hmm a set of materials for use. And that involves making it available for people. You know, they can come and see it, right? So you have to arrange it, you have to describe it in a way that people will know that it's there. It's not enough to just say, we collect architectural drawings. You've got to be more specific. That's kind of obvious. And there's also an obvious role that you're protecting them. You're safeguarding them against damage, against loss. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think getting people engaged with them, the mm-hmm. educational component, and seeing people take away the their eyes getting bigger, mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. saying, wow, mm-hmm. or you see that sort of engagement, you know that they're learning from those materials. Mm-hmm. That, I think, mm-hmm. is the thing that gets me most excited about what I do, mm-hmm. because you know that the materials matter. Mm-hmm. You can see people engaging and learning from them. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why you save the material, mm-hmm. right? So while you have all these important safeguards and you want to protect the material, you also very, very much want to make sure that people you know, appreciate right. them and engage with them. Now, you, you've mentioned um, different types of visitors you have. Would you say m- most of them are students or architects or... Numerically, it's students, okay. and but their students are not limited to the students of my institution, the University of Pennsylvania. Right. We do see students from all right. over the country, and often we see students come from you know international locations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not unusual to see a group come from Australia. Right. Of right. Uh, we have certain groups that come every summer from the University of Oregon, okay. and we do a very special program with them. They're landscape students. Okay. And they're very interested in sketchbooks. And so we have a very important collection uh, that includes the sketchbooks of Lawrence Halperin, an important American landscape architect. And they're beautiful. And he had very small sketchbooks that are very vivid with watercolor. They're very accessible. Mm -hmm. And we sit, because the class is only about 10 or 12 students, with those sketchbooks, but then also another collection of sketchbooks that are much older, from the 1880s. They're also small, and they also are organized in a similar way, but the way the architect and landscape architect are drawing are very different. The systems they use are different, but and yet they're they're also very similar. So it's a really wonderful sort of, you know, educational experience that I like, and I look forward to. In fact, in a few weeks, they'll 
the kids from Oregon will be back. Ah, okay, that's great. Yeah. And so, do you do you um, prepare different presentations each time, or do you have something you typically show when a group of students arrives? Um, I think that every archivist and every museum educator has things they know work. Yeah. And depending on the audience. Yeah. And even not depending on the oh, audience. Okay. Okay. There's things that transcend that. But I like to try and make it different mm -hmm. every time mm -hmm. and to try new things mm -hmm. because the groups are always different. Mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. don't, in the work that I do, I don't necessarily have a script that says I'm going to, I have to do this, I'll, I'll create some notes mm -hmm. that are new every time. Mm -hmm. um, and just as a way to engage with it differently and anew. And I think that's important. Yeah, yeah. How large is your team? I have two full-time staff people who are mm -hmm. both professional archivists. So that's mm -hmm. the that's the key training mm -hmm. to have in an archive, mm -hmm. uh, and myself. And then we usually have about four or five students that work for us. So I like to continue the fact that you right. know, I was a student. I had that opportunity. In my time, there were more master's students from the architecture or landscape program. Mm -hmm. Now... The master students are so busy, right. and the curriculum has changed that they are not as available. Right. And so, as a consequence, we have a lot of undergraduate students working for us, and they're oh, they're very smart kids. They're very eager yeah. to learn. Yeah. They don't have the same level of training yeah. as some of the architecture students, right. but they are very curious and inquisitive. Yeah and excited to be working with material. And yeah. sometimes those students will work for three or four years with us oh. and will send us postcards from far off places That's to stay great. in touch. Yeah. And and with you, Alda, what, what is the majority um, um, of your visitors that come to visit the archives? We have uh, different kind of visitors. Um, casual visitor, people that come to visit uh, the museum and uh, guess, uh, oh, maybe I'd like to see uh, Scarpa's drawing, mm -hmm. so they ask, but it's quite difficult uh, because we uh, need to, to do an appointment. Mm -hmm. um, in general, they contact us via mail mm -hmm. and they are deeply interested in uh, in a drawings mm -hmm. or in more drawings for consultation mm -hmm. and for publication for example ah, like right. Federica, Federica yeah. or in the past uh, Richard Murphy from Edinburgh that studied mm. the museum for 30 years <laughs> And um, also, uh, after the 2004, when we organized the digital archive, our notoriety is uh, rapidly mm. grown mm -hmm. because from Canada or from USA, people can, uh, Are can interested see the, in coming, yeah. the digital archive mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. write and they see the drawings so during uh, the Fascari symposium the fourth oh. I was really 
wondering uh, that uh, four people from different countries, from Australia, from America, from Europe, mm. and from North America, uh, had a talk about Castelvecchio and uh, Scarpa's drawing. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was uh, really astonishing. Yeah. Astonishing. 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 So you were surprised. Really, yeah, uh, you were surprised. I was really surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also satisfied. Of course, of course. Pro proud yeah, about it. Yeah. And uh, I think that this, uh, this is a result of uh, the digital... Uh, right, so making it more accessible. Yeah, exactly. Connection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. allowing so. it to be more accessible. Well, it's fascinating because you mentioned, William, uh, how you learn differently from the drawings than how you were learning in the school itself. So I kind of wonder, because not every school has that available or near in the proximity of the school, so whether you think that there is almost like a gap to be bridged and how, you know, how to bring students closer to drawings. I mean, even what Alba mentions about the accessibility digitally mm -hmm. to these archives and collection. I mean, mm -hmm. it really has the potential to change how we learn about architecture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The thing yeah. that interested me as a young student was that I was looking at these drawings and that experience I was having was my own. Mm. And that there was not a professor or somebody else telling me what I was looking at mm. and that there were many many images there and drawings and other other materials that start they were starting to tell me a story and that I was following action mm -hmm. or at least I was seeing things heading places and that was very interesting for me and it continues to be really interesting in the work that I do it makes it a great joy to mm -hmm. do that and so it was telling me about well you know this is how somebody that I admire as an architect, and there were many collections there that I was admiring what I was seeing, mm -hmm. that this is how they did it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I was supposed to copy mm -hmm. the buildings, but I was understanding and seeing before my very eyes the hard work that mm -hmm. it took. Mm -hmm. And you could, in the examples that I was looking at or seeing, you could see the architects struggling. Right. You could see them making mistakes. You mm -hmm. could see them, mm -hmm. you know, knocking themselves yeah. on the head and or go, what the hell something. is going on? Yeah, doing something or, over and over Or again. I'm scared. I'm intimidated. I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't believe I'm on the right track here. Mm -hmm. And that was, that's a very human thing. Sure. Right. And, and to see that sort of engagement with mm -hmm. the profession, with what it is that you're supposed to be doing, it felt like I was learning something about what it means to be a real architect, mm -hmm. a good architect. Mm -hmm. And um, so in the work that I do every day, it's my hope that I'm able to convey some of that message mm -hmm. to people True. who come in. And while they may not have the time that I've had mm -hmm. um, and I've been privileged to have in my work, mm -hmm. um, both as a student and as a professional now, to spend with the drawings, I hope that I'm opening up a door to you know, so the kind, what's yeah. going on yeah. when you're trying to do something of consequence and what do you do when you're stuck? Mm -hmm. What do you do mm -hmm. when something's not working? And it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's the humanity that's present within the drawings that I think is, is partly a great bridge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Sure. And that can be understood and read in the drawings. I think absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think everyone knows what it's like to struggle with mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And 
if you can make that apparent in mm-hmm. some way mm-hmm. um, or just how you keep working over something that yeah, where you begin is is yeah. not necessarily yeah. the only way yeah. right yeah. and Abba I think you wanted to to add to this yes I, I'd like to focus uh, a point regarding the divulgation of the archive mm. because uh, uh, the Castel Vecchio and the Carlo Scarpa is a specific one case, mm-hmm. and uh, so we work uh, a lot uh, about uh, a focus uh, regarding Scarpa. Mm-hmm. And for example, for November, we are managing, we are organizing an exhibition about. Uh, uh, Scarpa, uh, Scarpa's glasses uh, regarding his first years of the activity when he was 20 mm-hmm. years old, 20 okay. years old, he started to work in a glass company, Capellin, mm. and he made really beautiful uh, Glass work. You know, when Frank Lloyd Wright visited the, in uh, the 50 Venice, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, surprised and he chose directly glasses mm-hmm. and it was uh, uh, Scarpa's glasses. Oh, interesting. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So you, it's an exhibit? And yes, I, I want. Uh, to explain that uh, uh, on 22 of November of this year we will open an exhibition that um, compare mm-hmm. the glasses, the glasswork, the the, the glasswork mm-hmm. that will uh, display 68 glasses with more and less 35 drawings of the glass company. Wow. Oh, wow. Where, so where are you going to have it, the exhibit? Where is it going to be? The ex- where is, where is the exhibition? In the Sala Borgian, the exhibition in, room. In Castelvecchio. In Castelvecchio. So this activity is uh, strictly connected wow with the museum, mm. with the architecture, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I hope to organize the didactic yeah. activity, mm-hmm. um, explaining the, the glasses of an architect, mm-hmm. and uh, in the meantime, explain to different kind of students the materials. Mm. So the after uh, have seen the exhibition, the class can see, for example, the stucco, the concrete, the stone, yeah, the different other materials. different kind of materials. That he worked with. This is yeah. the next, uh, the next uh, step okay. for div- divulgate, to do the divulgation, the dissemination. The mm-hmm. dissemination. Mm-hmm. In the past, uh, we organize uh, mm-hmm. Uh, other event, for mm-hmm. example, Carlos Carpa birthday, mm-hmm. the the same date that the museum opened, Open. 
the 50 years uh, of the opening of the museums, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when Richard Murphy printed his book uh, last year, we had an presented event. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Ordine degli Architetti, mm-hmm. the Architectural mm-hmm. Association. Mm-hmm. So we try to to do to involve different. Uh, kind of people, different target uh, mm-hmm. of visitors. Mm-hmm. To expose to, to a variety of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What's happening at your archive? I guess what kind of research is ongoing or plans you have at the moment? Well, like Alba, we, we do a lot of exhibitions and the idea of being able to have programming mm-hmm. that extends beyond the, the fundamental you know, role of, of, mm. of providing access for research, for, mm. for teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a, a gallery space that we have had for, you know, almost 40, 50, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And so it has, in a sense, forced us to think about our materials on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very important mm-hmm. part because you're, you're learning to speak to different audiences. Mm-hmm. So while most of our students... Most of the people doing the research might be students and visiting the collection. We also have children coming, right? Mm-hmm. And we show them fun models and things like that. Mm-hmm. And architects love geometry. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they do interesting things with geometry. And, and this engages the imagination, especially mm-hmm. when it's an object. Mm-hmm. And so my colleagues organized a, a, a tour for you know, kids it was take your child to work day oh, of course. at the university. <laughs> so we had about 30 right. kids come nice. through. Uh, nice. It was very fun to That's see great. that. That's Not so great. often, yeah. but still it's forced us to think about how we might yeah. do a tour differently. Yeah. Um, and occasionally we do big retrospective exhibits mm-hmm. with major museum institutions that involve hundreds of objects and several years okay. preparation so so this means you you have a quite large space then oh, and in in we have a very large collection and that means we have a large space just mm-hmm. by the size of the collection okay. we have in we talk about square feet in the okay. united states yes, so course. we have just about 10,000 square feet having been a part of the archive for so many years you would have seen it expanded over the years well it's expanded or, both yeah. in the fact that we, before my time, we had worked on major exhibits. Mm-hmm. In my time, we have worked on major exhibits. Mm-hmm. And they are wonderful opportunities to expand what you do. Mm-hmm. Because you're working with museum professionals, mm-hmm. you're working with people from curators mm-hmm. to educational professionals, mm-hmm. to the registrars, right. yeah. to the people who move art. And while we don't mm-hmm. have all of those expertise represented in our mm-hmm. staff, we learn from those individuals and it mm-hmm. helps us do better right. and to know more about what we right. do, right? So that's an immediate right. thing. But then often there are institutions that are on the other side of the world or in Europe or yeah. in Japan and it allows us to engage with a very different context and to see sure. things differently. And yeah. that's just a very wonderful yeah. experience. I was thinking also about the expansion of the collection, I guess, in terms of the size. Yeah. I imagine that's changed from the time you Well, started. just taking in the archives of Robert Venturi and Denise Scott Brown, mm-hmm. I think their collection doubled the size of our holdings. Oh, wow. It was just it was. that much bigger. Yeah, yeah. And to give it a number, yeah. so just the papers for Robert Venturi himself, mm-hmm. not including Denise Scott Brown, not including the project files, not including the office files and the drawings, 
that was about 150 boxes. Huh? The entire papers of Louis Kahn are 110 boxes. Oh, wow. In total, the Venturi Scott Brown collection is more than 2,000 boxes. Wow. Right? That is, for us, and a when, very large collection. And when did that, that happen when you received it? We started to work with their collection in 1998. Okay. 1997, 1998. Okay. We were working in their office. Mm. And so we began a relationship in their building, mm -hmm. managing the collection before any of it moved to Penn. To, okay. And then as part of an exhibition project we did with the Philadelphia Museum of Art, we started to physically move mm -hmm. certain resources, the correspondence files, the project right. files specifically, right. And that way we could do intensive research with students. We could mm -hmm. provide access to scholars who were working mm -hmm. on the mm -hmm. curatorial aspect of mm -hmm. this project. And we also managed the whole research right. project right. from our vantage point of being archivists and, and curators. Right. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. But you know, we physically very much started to move everything in 2008. I had a special mm -hmm. archivist for four years, mm. and he worked on the collection. We processed most of it, mm. but we're still working on it now. Wow. And we started more than 20, you know, yeah. we started 20 years ago, 21 took, years ago. It took 10 years before, before you even started moving it. We moved some of it, yeah. but it was, it was 10 years before we started moving the drawings. Mm. And in fact, we didn't have a gift agreement until 2006. Oh, so we had a relationship that preceded a gift agreement, mm. although we had an understanding that we were heading there. Right. And that the exhibition opportunity in 2001, mm. which started in 2000, uh, 1997 okay. or 98, okay. Okay. gave us an opportunity to move forward. Yeah. And, and for you, Alba, what, what kind of changes have you seen over the time that you've been at Castavecchia? It's a... It's amusing because uh, the history between Italy and uh, uh, and England and oh, no, no US, and USA uh, are quite similar, uh, quite similar, uh, but our archive is really uh, little mm. because we have two thousand uh, drawings. And in the beginning, uh, the drawings uh, were in the ground floor in uh, an office in uh, drawers. Mm -hmm. Files. After the restoration of the first uh, tower, the northeast tower mm -hmm. that we arranged and we reused uh, as a gabinetto disegni stampe. Mm -hmm. Connected with the library, mm -hmm. uh, we um, put Scarpa's drawings together, the ancient drawings all mm. together. In 2013, mm -hmm. we moved the Scarpa's drawings from the Northeast Tower to the Southeast Tower because we re restored. Mm -hmm and uh, is uh, completely dedicated to, 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 Carlos, the, Carpa, to Carlos Carpa, yeah. to yeah. the Casa archive uh, mm -hmm. of the architect. Mm -hmm. So it seems uh, a st stop, but mm -hmm. the, yes. In there fact, are many, still, yeah. many mm -hmm. 
monuments. Yeah. And I was, I was going to ask you, did you, you design the space of the archives as well? As well, not alone, of course. Yes. Uh, uh, there is uh, a staff in uh, a building department in uh, the city of Verona, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I was in the group, mm -hmm. and uh, so I I designed the staircase and uh, some something mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's great. Well, I guess, you know, there is this, uh, I mean, I was curious about the fact that you have the drawing of Castelvecchio, but then you have also other collections, meaning other projects of Scarpa at Castelvecchio. So when did that process of acquisition happen? We were lucky because uh, the Regione del Veneto, thanks uh, to a special law uh, that was made in 2001, um, con, con gave uh, a financial support of different activity. And so um, Aldo Businaro, that was uh, Escarpa's uh, friend, and also he was uh, a manager of Cassina, acquired uh, more or less 1,000 drawings from private collection, for example, the glass company, uh, the blacksmith uh, uh, that worked with the Scarpa, and um, the Veneto region bought the drawings and decided to leave to museum in Castelvecchio mm. for conservation and also for dissemination. Mm -hmm. I mean, for conservation and dissemination. Yes. Got it. Okay, excellent. And now I guess it's interesting because, um, you know, when I visited, you explained now there is a Castel, you know, Castelvecchio, I guess, after Carlos Carpa, meaning other designers getting involved in the continuation of the work. So I was wondering what is going to happen with their drawings. For example, um, in continuity with uh, Scarpa's heritage, um, Paola Marini in asked to Giuseppe Tommasi to do the restoration of the clock tower and mm. the display of Mastino II della Scala. After that, uh, she asked to Filippo Bricolo mm. He is a 50 years old uh, architect, very good, and uh, he arranged the Sala del Mosaico. It is a mosaic room because in, uh, in a space next Castelvecchio, outside, they discover a big Roman mosaic mm. And uh, so we displayed uh, in uh, a grand floor of the Castelvecchio, but in a room not open to the public. Hmm. And this uh, young, uh, young, this architect is uh, is very is really involved. He was teaching in the university, and we organized together different courses with his students 
and also with the Politecnico di Milano, we organized together courses with mm -hmm. students, and he, uh, in the Scarpas line, in, he is able to, to do a very, very interesting project. Mm. Also, he, he is in the group of the project for the Four Towers Restoration, the Mastio, where there are involved 30 professionists oh, wow. that mm. uh, uh, present give like a gift uh, her professional services oh, wow. to the museum wow. and it's really it's really nice there is uh, an engineer mm -hmm. uh, Maurizio Cossato that I want to to say thanks because are 25 years that he uh, give to the museum his professional mm -hmm. services mm -hmm. free and um, the group of these people that collaborate like uh, Amici del Museo is uh, mm -hmm. an association, yeah, uh, no profit uh, right. that help, that support the museum uh, with these uh, services and so they obtain Obtained uh, one million of euro mm. to restore the Masti the Mastio Tower. Yes. We mm. we are running to obtain, not yet obtained because the Italian bureaucracy is yeah. is yeah. quite uh, difficult. Mm -hmm. But are three years that we are working together, together. to obtain. Yeah. Yeah the financial support oh, and great. the project, the, mm. um, we say executive project sure. is is done, yeah. is finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. But you're, you're essentially talking about conserving heritage. Mm, mm. And so in the collection at Penn, I've also come to realize that there are people who are concerned with the built environment, whether it's landscapes or buildings or combination mm -hmm. of the two. And they are using the collection in very, very intensive ways, often mm -hmm. more intensive than anyone else that I see. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. they are working on some of the great art done mm -hmm. in the 20th century. Uh, and my collection is sure. more 20th century and 21st century than it sure. is 19th and 18th, but I've got a bit of the earlier period. And so to see that work being done, I recognize mm -hmm. that they're asking for things I haven't thought about. So that has also reshaped the kind of things I collect in order to, to help support that kind mm -hmm, of work. Mm -hmm. And then as an extension, we have taken some collections in of people who specialize in certain kind of work, conservation work, mm -hmm, preservation work, mm -hmm. as we might say in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so recently, it's Mariana Thomas. She worked uh, as a conservation specialist in the building that we're in. It's a beautiful 1891 building by the American architect Frank Furness. Oh, wow. Her firm, working with Venturi Scott Brown and mm -hmm. others, were mm -hmm. responsible for an incredible conservation effort done in the 1980s and early 90s. Mm -hmm. 
so we're taking her archives mm-hmm. as we speak right. because she's worked on important buildings on the Penn campus. Right. The Furnace Building being one of two mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the Penn campus designated in the United States as a National Historic Landmark, which right. is our, our top designation for historical status. And so Amazing. we're very lucky to have yeah. that. But I think 50 years from now, 40 years from now, mm-hmm. 20 years from now, next week, mm. that stuff might be very valuable in making mm-hmm. informed, enlightened decisions about the future of the building. Of course, yeah. So that we don't lose those qualities mm-hmm. that we admire. In it. Mm-hmm. And that happens. Mm-hmm. That does happen. Mm-hmm. And it takes effort. And the fact that they're collecting drawings at the Castle Vecchio and investing in material that way, mm-hmm. we know it's important. We know its significance. Mm-hmm. And that's a testament to the fact that they see that significance mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. investing in it. Yeah. I forgot to finish the answer, mm-hmm. but the Filippo Bricolo drawings mm-hmm. are already in the collection, and also Valeriano Pastor, mm-hmm. after the setup, the exhibit design of a Rigo Rudi exhibition mm-hmm. in 2012, he gave to the archive his beautiful drawings of the exhibition so we have we have valeriano pastor and filippo bricolo nice well i was curious if you also um collect works by students yeah so historically Mm -hmm. there are a number of collections that you see that include student work Um, but i would not say that the university has been systematic in that You know, there's the example of the landscape architecture program, Ian McCarg, and teaching ecological planning. He evolved a process that's very important in the field that had national and international impact through the student work. So for 15 years, we have a very solid collection of student work that includes drawings that are 12 feet tall and six feet oh, wide. Wow. They're they're massive and we're fortunate to have them. In fact, we have them on exhibit right now mm. as part of a larger exhibition focused on Ian McCarg and his legacy mm. and the idea of designing with nature, mm. right? But yeah. where is where is the exhibit? Where do you in Philadelphia at, at the Architectural Archives, but also in several other galleries on campus. So I was doing that before I came to London. So I'm very tired. Really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we also have student work that comes in as part of large archives. So we have Bob Venturi's student work. We have Denise Scott Brown's student work from oh, wow. the Architectural Association in London, Bob from Princeton. We have the student work of one of our great professors at Penn who trained in Paris, uh, Paul Philippe Cray. And so often with a major archive will come student work. Um, around Paul Cray, because he was such an important professor, mm-hmm. we have collected student work from that period. That's the Beaux-Arts. His students are coming in the 19-teens and 20s and were very important architects mm-hmm. who won a lot of awards. So we have quite a bit of student work from that period. Mm-hmm. I have also collected a bit in the 1950s and 60s, but we also we have good photographic records in the decade of the 1960s, the school systematically invested in photographing student work, mm. both in color slides and in black and white prints. So we have a number of resources, but of course we also have syllabi. We have the kind of resources that help you do a pedagogical study of how teaching was done, how teaching has changed. 
that's more of an institutional history mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that we happen to have in our collection, although you could find that in a typical university archives. Because we have been around for more than 40 years, that material has all been consolidated with us because we often take the archives of of the key professors that are part of our institution, although we collect people who have no affiliation with, with the University of Pennsylvania. I was going to ask, how do you decide on which collections you want to, I guess, uh, secure for the archive? So this is, the, the question you're asking is a larger question of a collecting policy or a mission, right? And so in America, we like to talk about mission and visions mm-hmm, and things mm-hmm. like that. And so that's tied to your identity as an institution. And we're part of a school of design. We're part of a place that's teaching the next generation of architects and landscape architects and planners. Mm-hmm. So the thinking process of how designs are developed is important. So I like to take collections that show how groups of people will work something out. So for example, you know, we have the collection of Louis Kahn. We also have the collection of several landscape architects that worked closely with Kahn, several engineers that worked closely with Kahn, hmm. because research demands us to have that kind of material because sure. people are interested in Kahn's work with great depth, and you want to add more layers mm-hmm. to it. The clients mm-hmm. that were part of it. So mm-hmm. that naturally, to give more vantage points into a critical figure mm-hmm. is important. It just helps enrich and make it more mm-hmm. complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, you get this ecosystem of mm-hmm. many different participants, and you discover people who you didn't know existed, right? right. right. And so we know in, in architecture, it's been a profession that's been dominated by men. And when you look more deeply at things, you find that women are doing really interesting jobs hmm. all over the profession if you dig further into the field and you right. find where hmm. they are. And that's interesting to scholarship, that's interesting to students. And while we are focusing more on the individual hmm. creator, mm-hmm. and that's something that is, you know, not as, you know, it's not a, you know, people are looking for other ways into architecture mm-hmm. scholarship mm-hmm. that is broader minded than than that mm-hmm. um, right now. Mm-hmm. But you know, we still know that those there's vital action in there of, of how people are thinking things through. We're largely focused in the Philadelphia region, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. there are important examples of architecture and we have a set of relationships there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the critique of modernism that is emerging in the post-war era, Philadelphia is one of the really important places mm-hmm for that in urban design, planning, architecture, landscape. So we're collecting a circle of people that help extend that and help us understand that. Mm-hmm. While also recognizing that that leads you to places like Ahmedabad, India, and yeah, to sure. Japan, and to, yeah. to points in Europe. So occasionally we'll take a collection, the example would be Anant Rajay from India, mm-hmm. from Ahmedabad, who's someone who worked with Khan in Philadelphia at his office, but then also went back to India, to Ahmedabad, mm-hmm. Uh, where he established his professional mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. and finished the building that Khan designed in, in Ahmedabad called the Indian Institute of Management. So mm-hmm. Khan's last drawings, you know, he made the day before he died, um, were, were kept in, in Ahmedabad. And so Interesting. You know, yeah. we have them now in Philadelphia. How did the collection start? Like, you know, the birth of the archive in both of these, you sure. know, what are the stories? 
So the, in specific terms, the Architectural Archives was founded in 1978. And, but the idea of using drawings in the education of architects is much older than that. And there, were, there are and were collections at the university established before 1900 that served the purposes of teaching, and we continue that. Mm-hmm. But specifically, when the architect Louis Kahn died, his papers and materials, there was a concern that they would all be sold because he died with, with a great debt of about $450,000. And the only resource they had were the drawings so that they were thinking about selling them. Quickly, people said, that's a bad idea. And mm-hmm. so they were able through great effort to convince the the government of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, to buy the collection and put it on permanent loan to the University of Pennsylvania. That took a few years. Mm -hmm. So in 1975, he dies in 1974, in 1975 and 76, the details are worked out. We were physically ready to take materials in September of 1978 when it moved into the building that the materials are still in. But we already knew at that point that we were not beginning with just one collection, that there were five collections we were beginning with, including architects who were doing residential architecture in a beautiful part of the city called Chestnut Hill, and Mick Gilchrist is an example. Uh, Robert LaRicolet, an important engineer who taught at Penn, taught alongside Kahn, was part of it. I'm thinking that could be nice uh, have a like uh, visiting archivists. Sure. <laughs> you can come in Castelvecchio. It's like a sleepover. And uh, I can come. You know, it's funny because you mentioned earlier that... Uh, Could be nice. Friends, yeah. You know? Well, Khan <laughs> and Scarpa were friends, so it's natural for us to be friends. But I think it, you know, I also believe that people were increasingly interested in architectural records in the 1970s. And I think just there's a confluence of people interested in historic preservation. Mm. In the course of teaching, people are are increasingly turning in the late 60s and early 70s to the records that architects actually made, right? Mm. So extending beyond um, just the experience of the buildings and what remained. And frankly, stuff survived. I mean, there was more of it there. Mm. And you could be actively talking to architects. The International Confederation of Architecture Museums is establishing we became a member in the second year, right? And so these are important indications of a field that still is relatively new. Mm-hmm. And while there are institutions like the Avery Architectural Archives at Columbia, you know, who's one of the primary architectural mm-hmm. libraries in the world, they were collecting drawings long before most of our institutions ever existed and were focused on collecting drawings in a specific way as a dedicated archive. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you been always in the same location from the beginning for the archive? or We were always in the same building, but resources were kept on the third floor, but all the storage was on the basement floor with no elevator. Oh, no. So all the material yeah. had to go up and down stairs. <laughs> Me and too, 70 steps. <laughs> Nowadays, funny. we're all on it's one fun. floor. We have the whole lower funny. level. Oh. So. so how many steps? Uh, now to the collections, there are five steps that are up to the area that we call the catacombs, okay. where we keep all the materials now to our reading room. So our reading room, the ceiling is about ten and a half feet tall. Okay. The storage area is under brick vaults. Okay. Uh, it's in a in a 
in its environment is a little bit better mm-hmm. in that space mm-hmm. than in our mm-hmm. reading room. So. And how many people do you think you host, I guess, in the period of an academic year? Well, so in terms of tours, we had this past, you know, we count the academic year. So we go from (laughs) July, you know, we, so in terms of the number of people, we we count based on the academic year. So just in terms of tours, we had about 1,500 people come through for tours. And that's not in in the architectural archives from an academic year. So from July to June. And uh, some days we had five groups come through, especially in wow. October and in February, March are the times where we see a lot of tour groups right. coming through. And so are you doing most of the tours? Then? I do most of the tours. So yeah. you will do five in one day? Well, this is where when you work with architectural drawings and, yeah. and the number of tours we give, I find it very difficult, even though I feel like I can, I know how to do public speaking. I know mm-hmm. how to engage people. Mm. I know that I can't hold people's attention with the materials out on the table mm-hmm. if there's more than 15, 18 people. Exactly. So if it's a class of 60 people and we get quite a few classes mm. with 60 people, we will do the same tour three times rather yeah. than try to make yeah. it one tour because I just don't think it would be satisfying for anybody, yeah. including myself. So this was the same experience for me with the Maison Vert as well. Yeah. We ne- we don't take more than 15. Yeah, it's too much. So we and would do two or three. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it's, you, you want the experience to be impactful. Mm. You need to dedicate the time and the resources mm. to make it so because mm-hmm. that's what's most likely... To, to have people have mm-hmm, that sense of mm-hmm, wonder and imagination mm-hmm, that, that we see. Mm-hmm, and if we're not able to communicate that, I think we're not mm-hmm, doing our job mm-hmm, the right way. We mm-hmm, don't have our priorities in the mm-hmm. right way. But of course we do, yeah. right? Of course. So in these, I guess, 1,500 people, the majority are architectural students? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they come with specific requests from their faculty, or how does it work? Well, that's the, that's the tours. I mean, I think in researchers, we might have another 500 that show up so that there's mm-hmm. those are people who've made appointments the tours have made special arrangements too but they're people who are sitting at our research tables sometimes we can have four mm-hmm. occasionally we'll have five in the research room at one time and we're assisting them and helping them um, so it's it's kind of always busy mm-hmm. uh, except for the early That's weeks of was, January yeah, and imagine. right after yeah. graduation it's very quiet so we mm-hmm. actually quietly close mm-hmm the reading room um, in that time so that, you know, the staff can have a little time to kind of shake off. I think everyone is going to show up in the period now. (laughs) (laughs) But I imagine for Alba, it's not so much about the touring or visitors. Your work is... is, uh, We we often have a tour of the museum with the... Explication regarding of course. the restoration, right. of course, right. and sometimes. But the archives. Some sometimes we have not mm-hmm. very much mm-hmm. um, because our spaces are really narrow, tight, t- tight. tight. Yeah. We can uh, receive. Uh, 20 students mm. uh, we received uh, our students from months, Kingston yes few months uh, ago yeah. your students uh, and we share in two different mm-hmm. groups because okay. uh, we we have uh, 
20 square meters, meters. Okay. and the table and so, yeah, yeah. Is, so it's quite, it's quite difficult yeah. but so, sometimes uh, for example when we work with the university we mm -hmm. have a group mm -hmm. or in this case we with the students yeah. we receive students but would you say you have more researchers desiring to access the archives than student groups, for example. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, yes. Whereas I think with William, it's it's more students that are the, the, being at the university. Have, yeah. Yeah. But you have a large number of researchers, yeah. like 500. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because uh, with, with the school, uh, the activity is focused with mm -hmm. uh, the didactic department sure. in the museum for different level mm -hmm. of age or, mm -hmm. and of students mm -hmm. but we we try to be connected mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. with uh, with people with mm -hmm. visitor mm -hmm. I, I, institutionally it's important for me to see and for the university to see the resource that they invest in used by our students right. so i work very hard sense. to find ways of engaging the students to provide multiple mm -hmm. ways in to, to engage with the collection. And, you know, I will have students stop me. I had a student who uh, at the, I was visiting an exhibit on the museum at the Museum of Modern Art, and he walks up to me and says, hey, Mr. Archives. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, he had graduated a year before or something. It's like, I still think about that visit yeah. I had to the archives. And he's not the only one that I've encountered mm. at a place very different where they felt the need to to extend themselves out and mm. say, hey, mm. you did something that was of consequence and of mm -hmm. interest to me and I still stayed, mm -hmm. it's still in my memory. They maybe only visited once or twice in their yeah. time as a student. Yeah. I would love to see them more often than that. Sure. But it's also, I know that the collection has impact and maybe that's where they're at mm -hmm. and that the need to go further is not... It's not mm -hmm. there yet. Mm -hmm. Some students will take the time and will want mm -hmm. to look more, but it's, you know, they don't have a lot of time. They're very busy. They're yeah. in, invested in their own creative, sure. you know, um, interests. And so that's what I try to work on is just helping them expand their imagination about mm -hmm. what it is that you should be doing and how you might think differently mm -hmm. and free yourself of certain you know conventions mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you might mm -hmm. hear i mean this is what i was experiencing as when i was a student yeah. i could see from my own you know uh interest mm -hmm. and in looking mm -hmm. at drawings that i could do things differently sure. and that i didn't have to feel constrained by what my teachers were telling me right right regarding this uh, that you mentioned, uh, there is uh, in Italy an, a particular opportunity because they transformed the military service in civil service. Mm -hmm. So each year we have uh, in the museum more and less four, five uh, young, uh, already degree. Can you say already degree students mm -hmm. that are really interested, uh, or in the Archivio Carlos Carpa, or in catalogation, or in the library, mm -hmm. and so they stay with uh, us for a year full mm -hmm. time, full time twenty hours for week. Mm -hmm. So 
is a, a good experience mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the young uh, yeah the young people that choose uh, mm-hmm. they they have uh, something like a, a test like uh, they have to ask and uh, there is a selection selection ah, that my colleague okay. do and uh, so they are chosen mm-hmm. in base mm-hmm. the curriculum and their mm-hmm. interest so mm-hmm. they they are already strong motivated to work Students, uh, yeah. in this yeah. uh, in this field mm-hmm. great so do you have a favorite drawing do yeah. i have wow. a favorite <laughs> drawing <laughs> that's a question wow. that everyone asks me okay. and i never answer i always always dodge that question but yeah, I'm, po- i'm posing it to you Because you're totally unprepared for it. Completely. <laughs> But what, what came to mind? Two things. My f- the first thing that came to mind is this, the only image of a drawing of a sketch of Pierre Schaul uh, on an envelope hmm. that was published in the book. I think that has Kenneth Frampton in it. And then after that, looking at you as you stared straight at me, asking me what's my favorite, and thinking of Louis Kahn, mm. uh, is these beautiful drawings, I think they were in pastel, that he did in Egypt, yeah. that were just so vibrant. And yeah. the owner of the Maison Vert had one of them oh. hanging in the Maison Vert. So mm. I became quite attached to it. Mm. Yeah. And in fact, I guess, you know, there, is, uh, there has always been this question with your research in terms of the, the drawings. Mm. Of Pierre Charot. Right. right. Which which we, we don't know yeah. where well, they are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know where they are. I mean the the yeah. The the only the, the only drawings that I'm aware of um for the Maison Vert are the drawings two sets of drawings that were given to the city for permits. So these mm. are in the archives of the city of Paris. Mm-hmm. but they don't actually reflect the final resolution of the house. Mm. So we're not sure whether they were simply drawn for permit with never the intention to build it that way. Mm. Don't know. Do you have a favorite drawing, Federica? Definitely have one. <laughs> <laughs> the one she's been studying for how many years now? <laughs> Alfarano. It took, uh, <laughs> 13 for the book, <laughs> to one drawing. But I guess, you know, any drawing that you can spend time with. Mm, In fact, yeah. you know, you spoke yeah. about this yeah. question of how much time it takes to see a drawing, yeah. you know. So, yeah, having the time to look yeah. at them. No, I mean, I think that the, the favorite drawings for me, and there are many, that you can't mm, ever really course. isolate. And for me it. too, yeah. Um, so it was a very unfair yes, question. Yes, no, but, it's fine. But I'm, I'm posing <laughs> but it. But you did ask what came to my head first. Right. And those well, it's a way to begin the conversation, exactly. right? Exactly. Mm. Um, I think it's the ones that ask you the questions. Mm. That, you know, they, there's something about them that is not explained when you look at them. Right? Exactly. At the first glance. Yep. And that yeah. they stick in your mind and your imagination. Mm-hmm. So I think a key thing that I've learned in my profession and what I do every day is I have to be sensitive and looking out for those moments when something comes in front of me and it doesn't compute mm-hmm. in the right mm-hmm. way, if mm-hmm. I can put it that way. 
um, it's asking something because it's it's got a secret mm-hmm. in it. It's got mm-hmm. something that is not being revealed mm-hmm. at first glance. And it may be that it's just some researcher is is looking at it and they're passing by and I'm like, I stop them. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, what mm-hmm. do you see here? Mm-hmm. So I get the mm-hmm. advantage of, of someone else looking. They yeah. might not have seen what I saw, but I realize yeah. I should slow them down in a moment and see if we could figure yeah. it out. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'm, that's the I'm great gift of drawings and that they are still with and us. You're right about Cheryl's drawings because yeah. it's, it's mysterious. Yeah. Uh, but now another drawing has come to mind that I saw uh, in the archives at La Bruce's, um Bibliothèque mm. Saint-Geneviève. Yeah. And I was just amazed at the detail of the how the building received water. So how the water came through the roof and the gutters and down. It was... I love pipes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there was a drawing that was described once by David Van Zanten when they were working on this famous exhibit in the 1970s about the architecture of the Cole de Beaux-Arts. Mm. And the architect of of the Paris Opera, Charles Garnier, mm-hmm. had to do a, a rendering of the interior sequence through the public areas to the seats, hmm. and it was essentially the program of elaboration for the interiors. So apparently, the drawing was like. 20 feet tall and 30 feet wide. It was something ridiculous mm. in terms of its scale because wow. that was the only way that he felt he could that he could make that. a drawing yeah. that big. I don't remember if that drawing survives. It would right. seem unlikely because right. right. where could you put it? But yeah, the funny yeah. part of the conversation with David Van Zanten was that there was actually a photographer in mm. Paris that had a studio that was big enough to photograph that with a photographic print a negative mm. that was massive and wow. could capture that. That's so amazing. today you would see that drawing and it has been mm. published much smaller than it was really made. Intended. So that direct experience yeah. of yeah. seeing yeah. a drawing. No, this is and it. And just that idea of, right. of seeing something that is yeah. so, yeah. you know, off the charts in terms of its yeah. size, yeah. you know, yeah. or so, you know, tiny. Yeah. You know, you were mentioning a sketch on an envelope, which I right. imagine was a rather yeah. small thing. Yeah. 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 Um, both can be as powerful and effective mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and exciting to see. Great. I think a good note to end. That'll, that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank so you give very you a much. little spark at the end. <laughs> yeah. And Alba, thank you very much as thank well. Thank you to you for okay. everything. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Do subscribe and comment and get back to us with your feedback. We're going to be trying to do a couple of special editions with our students and others over this time, but there will be other uh, episodes coming out very shortly uh, of recordings made prior to this time, so do join us then. In the meantime, I'd like to thank, as ever, the incredible Register team, Matt Wells, Matt Phillips, Christoph Luder, and of course, Laura Evans, who works with me on this series of talks and podcasts. Do take care. Talk soon. Bye.